Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian Churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, Stated Clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you, Rachel, and welcome everyone to this week's edition of In All Things. It's a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Our guest this week is Annie Rose. Annie is a teaching elder, pastor, stated clerk of the Presbytery of the Rivers and Lakes in the EPC, and there's more information about her coming in just a few seconds when we get there. But first of all, Annie, we just want to welcome you to In All Things. Thank you, Dean. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. So um, when we get into this conversation today, you're going to hear more about uh, Annie's journey as an executive pastor out in the Pacific Northwest, her calling to the ministry, serving as a stated clerk. And then she served in a number of important capacities in the larger church of the EPC. And we'll get into what some of those things are, too in just a few minutes. But before we do, this episode of In All Things is brought to you by the Ad Interim Committee to write a pastoral letter of racial lament and hope. As approved by the 42nd General Assembly, this Ad Interim Committee, which is made up of 10 men and women, teaching elders, ruling elders, people of different ages, people of different ethnic backgrounds, people who are from different parts of the country and have different vocational experiences, um, all coming together to seek the mind of Christ, to write a letter to the church for the church on one of the most uh, important and pressing issues of our day. And rather than being reactive and using terms and ideas uh, coming from the culture, uh, this particular letter is commissioned to be, first of all, biblical, second of all, pastoral, and third of all, helpful, so that, that churches, perhaps such as yours, would be able to read this and be able to say, okay, that helps us navigate through some challenging cultural waters with a biblical framework and grounding in mind. Um, and we have done this about 16 times before as a denomination over other topics of, of interest that were relevant at that time, and we were, we were doing so again today. In fact, that group has just met here at the EPC uh, offices this last week, and we're really excited about the good start that they've gotten off to. Great chemistry and great heart, all seeking the Lord, the prayer time, and the relationships already exceedingly rich. And our hope is that you will, at, if nothing else, pray uh, for this at interim committee. Pray for them. Pray that they would seek the mind of Christ, discern the mind of Christ, and be able to communicate his heart as found in his word as it relates to the application of this issue. Speaking of which, our guest today is actually a member of that ad interim committee for this pastoral letter. And what's significant is that Annie Rose has actually served on a previous pastoral letter. She served on the pastoral letter for human sexuality a number of years ago. And that was one of the reasons why she was kind of tapped on the shoulder to serve on this committee, because she brings that experience and that background to bear in this next pastoral letter. Uh, But Annie serves in a number of capacities. She is not only the stated clerk of the Presbytery of the River and Lakes, she is also someone who serves 
on our ministerial vocations committee and effective biblical leadership team at the national level, giving oversight and and thought to how do we provide for, care for, equip, train, support all of the the pastors in our denomination. And specifically, Amy was part of the the leadership team that helped me plan our two pastors retreats last fall, where 100 pastors and their spouses came together first in Seven Springs Resort up in Western Pennsylvania, and then here at Canterbury Resort in Central Florida, to really just go deeply into Psalm 13 together, have some amazing time of worship and prayer and fellowship and teaching and relaxation and restoration because we know from all the data, whether it's the Lilly Fund, whether it's Barna Research, you name it, pastors are hurting right now in a way in which they never have before. And uh, Annie Rose, a pastor herself, has a tremendous heart particularly for those pastors who are hurting. And we're going to go there a little bit in our conversation today. So there's probably a lot of other things I could say, but I think we need to get into the conversation. So Annie, again, it's just great to have you in studio. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. So what's given you such a heart for pastors? I mean, you're a pastor yourself, and maybe we should start there with a little bit of your story and how it is that the Lord called you and a little bit of your journey that's led you to where you are. And once you kind of lay that foundation for us, Maybe why is it God has placed on your heart such an incredible burden uh, to care for our pastors? Well, first, I'm a child of the church, so I'm uh, very thankful my mother raised me and my three siblings, uh, being a part of the church from our earliest days. And uh, my my journey toward ordination uh, really started in high school. I was in my junior year of high school, and I had certain plans for myself My parents were both in the academic world, and that was a comfortable space for me to envision being in. And so I was planning on going into teaching, and specifically in history. But when I was a junior in high school, I very distinctly felt the Lord calling me to study Bible and theology. So that changed my college trajectory. Now let's press pause there for one second, Annie, because I happen to know that you grew up in a complementarian church. That is a church that did not affirm or believe that the scripture taught women were to be in leadership roles in the church. And yet here you are now in high school having this sense that you're called to study that. That's a interesting tension. It was an interesting tension also because I was in a, in a complementarian church but I ended up being put in positions of spiritual leadership. So one uh, week we were going to have a youth service. All the youth were leading the various parts of the worship service. And none of the guys in my youth group were available to lead worship that week. And so by default, it fell to me. And I really resisted that, resisted that position of leadership. It wasn't something that was comfortable for me to even think about doing, but I did it. I would say likewise in leading Bible studies in my youth group, not just with young young girls, but also with the guys. Even in a complementarian church, I was invited into these spaces of spiritual leadership. And I think at the time, I didn't worry about it too much. I didn't really uh, struggle with the tension. I just kept marching forward. And so when I felt the Lord calling me to study Bible and theology, I had no notion of going into pastoral ministry. I thought I would be a professor. I thought I would be an academic. So I continued to follow that path, took me to Wheaton College and eventually into the graduate school at Wheaton. And it was in my first full-time semester of graduate school that I distinctly sensed a call to pastoral ministry. And I was very shocked because I still was not in a church where women were invited into places of leadership. And yet, 
it was unmistakable to me that the Lord was redirecting my path. Now, it didn't change my educational course in that immediate context. I thought I would go on for PhD work after my MA, and so I, I let go of that part of the plan, but I was still very committed to my studies in exegesis. And what it did was it really reinvigorated my joy for studying the Word because instead of thinking about the research that I was going to do and the teaching I was going to do in the academy, I was focused on how could this research, how could this study benefit the Bride of Christ? And it, it took away for me at that time a sense of competition with my fellow students, and I could just throw myself into the study of the Word, feeling like, okay, at some point, the Lord is going to use this to bless his people. And that gave me such joy. And your ordination path inside the EPC first landed you out in the Pacific Northwest in Wenatchee at uh, Saddle Rock Church, and you served there as an associate or executive pastor. That's correct, yeah. I first went out to Saddle Rock to be their discipleship pastor, so overseeing uh, adult discipleship primarily, but then I also had oversight of our children's and youth directors. But then over time, my responsibilities expanded as things shifted around, and then I became the executive pastor there. And then uh, that church went through a pastoral transition, and it was a good time for you to make a move closer back to home. That's right. And uh, your home church is really Emmanuel EPC in Warrenville, which is really Wheaton, uh, Illinois. And uh, we've had some great leaders come out of that church for the EPC, most notably, I think, is Paul Heidebreck, who served as our moderator, but uh, Phyllis LePoe, who served on 7-9, Krista Nushar, who's been on the national leadership team. Carolyn Nystrom. Carolyn Nystrom, oh yes. my goodness. Carol- Mark Knoll is a member there. Mark Knoll, yeah, yeah, so this is a powerhouse. Family. It's not a big church, no. uh, I mean, but, but the people that come out of that church who contribute to the larger church is really quite significant. It was a wonderful gift of God to land me at Emmanuel right as I was starting my seminary journey. I had no idea how significant that was going to be in my life, but I'm very grateful for the way I've been shaped by that church. Yeah, well, and we're grateful for the way that church has helped shape you and the way you're using your gifts to help continue to shape the church. I mean, that's the kind of the ministry of reciprocity that seems to go about. So now you come back to to Wheaton in that area, Emmanuel, vested in that community, but the Lord has called you to actually a, a new role. You're serving as the stated clerk of one of our presbyteries. Talk to us about what that's like. Oh, it's a wonderful combination of administration and ministry. And I don't think that I could have anticipated until I got into the role how much I was going to enjoy that combination. I always thought of the clerk role mainly in terms of minutes and record keeping, and that is a big portion of the responsibility. But the part that gives me so much joy is it puts me in a position to be in regular contact with our pastors and uh, the elders leading their churches to encourage them to foster the connections that we have uh, inside the presbytery. And so it's just been a great mix of my nerdy administrative side and also the the loving squishy people side. There you go. That's a great way. The nerdy the nerdy administrative side right. and the squishy people side. I like that. That's that's a that's a lasting <laughs> I, image. I I love for me. my job. I have to say so for years and years Carolyn Nystrom was our stated clerk and I served along with her for 2 years as the presbytery moderator. And I I never could really understand why she loved her job so much. And even now when I talk to her she says that was my lifetime favorite do- favorite job, but now I understand why. Mm. Um, the people of our presbytery are incredibly sweet and gracious. They love Jesus. 
Uh, they're thankful for any support and resources they can have to be more effective for the kingdom. It's just a wonderful place to serve. Wow, that's a great commercial for the Presbytery of the Rivers and Lakes, let alone <laughs> the whole EPC. But I get a sense now, Annie, as to why you have a passion in your heart for pastors. Uh, where, what do you see right now? For the average person listening in, they may not be aware of the Barna data or the Lilly uh, Foundation data. Or there, uh, There's so much data coming at us right now about where pastors are. We, and we kind of knew this before the pandemic. And of course, the pandemic has a way of both putting light on something that was already there, but maybe even accelerating or turning up the heat on some of those things. And now as we're coming out on the other side of that, we're starting to see how that has affected our pastors. Tell us what you're seeing. I think a lot of pastors are are feeling pretty worn out. I think they had to run really hard for two years, uh, constantly learning new skills, adjusting to changing circumstances, dealing with maybe factions within their congregations that had very strong opinions on on social and political issues, and just the the day-to-day, week-to-week task of faithfully preaching the Word of God and loving the people of God was not enough. They didn't feel like what they had to offer was enough. And they were doing it in many cases virtually, right? So, I mean, part of what would feed me as a preacher was seeing the faces of people, hugging them, being with them, hearing their responses, their Hopefully they're amens, but maybe they're groans. I mean, but you're preaching to a camera with nobody there is very different. It's a completely different skill set for one thing. And yes, you're not getting the kind of feedback and built-in affirmation of having that live contact with the congregation. It's it. I think it was an incredibly isolating time for everybody, but for pastors, you know, the the weight of spiritual leadership is something that really cannot be quantified. You never get a break from it. Right. You know, you might engage in some healthy self-care practices like, okay, you know, here's the day that I'm going to rest. I'm not going to look up my email. I'm going to turn off my cell phone. But that emotional weight never leaves you. Right. You're going to pick it up, you know, the minute you hear something, the minute you get a text, the minute you get an email, that's how connected a, a healthy pastor is to their congregation. And with so much of the world in crisis, you know, and we, we know kind of the global things that were going on, but, but individually people had things they were dealing with too. So for me, for example, as a pastor, yes, I was dealing with COVID, political division, all of those big things. But then personally, my father was also declining and, mm. and ended up passing away a few months into COVID. Um, so many other, you know, talking with a pastor who is estranged from his daughter because they have very divergent political views. And so they're not on speaking terms anymore. There were so many layers to the pressure and a lot of pastors never got a break from it. They've just had to keep shifting into a different gear. I also think Annie, you know, curious your thoughts on this, that most pastors have never had a class on leadership. That's not something that's usually taught in seminary. Right. And, uh, you know, it's sort of a throwaway, you know, be a servant leader like Jesus was a servant leader kind of thing. And that's true, but but that's not altogether that helpful because how you do that, the way you live that out. And, and I would say in leadership, number one, churches weren't built for quick change. Exactly. I was going to say change management is huge. Yeah. And the second is pastors weren't taught how to pivot quickly. So churches aren't designed to turn 
uh, on a dime, and pastors aren't taught how to lead an organization to turn on a dime. And yet the pandemic required multiple pivots where people had to immediately go online, they had to immediately go to team that would evaluate the CDC recommendations, a team that would communicate out, you know, the, the, how to do pastoral care virtually. I mean, there was right. just so many different pivots. Or looking at your stats, you know, from your online engagement, figuring out who are we actually reaching? What parts of the worship service are people tuning, turning in for? Which ones are they turning off? It's There's all these analytics that if you were really trying to do a good job, you were trying to get up on all of these major areas of expertise that have nothing to do with the art of pastoring people. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. So uh, two pieces of counsel here I'm asking of you. First is going to be directed to the pastor. For the pastors who are listening in, and those of you who aren't pastors, get your pastor to listen in. For the pastors who are now listening in, give us some counsel as to today, best practices moving forward in light of everything that we've said. One thing that I hope pastors will take away from the self-revelation that have come from the last couple of years is we have to be intentional about living in community. It is far too easy when you're in leadership to be isolated. To some degree, we like that. It's a safe place to be. We don't have to be vulnerable. Those of us who are introverts might even kind of gravitate toward that a little bit. Absolutely. But I, I would say even introverts, you know, you're made in the image of God. You're a relational being. Theologically, we all know that we're members of the one body of Christ. We have a genuine spiritual connection to one another. Whether we take advantage of it and kind of actualize it or not, it is there spiritually. Uh, so I would really encourage pastors in whatever ways they can, whatever season of life they're in, whatever their circumstances are, to find a way to live in genuine community, with, particularly with other pastors, people who get it, people who you know you can talk to in shorthand, they understand what your struggles are, and they're going to be able to meaningfully support and pray for you. That's excellent advice. So let's turn the corner. How about to the congregation member, particularly an elder? If you've got an elder right now listening in, how could they love their pastor well? And what counsel would you give them in light of all that what we've talked about? Oh, so many things come to mind. When I think back about pastoring a church through COVID, one of the things that I really appreciated were those elders who were really willing to come and carry the ministry with me in terms of ministering to the flock. So there's a lot that you can do for your pastor and your pastor's family, being a safe listening ear, praying for, you know, letting them know that you're interceding for them and inviting them to share, you know, give them a gift card to a restaurant. There's so many practical things, but for a pastor whose heart is for the congregation, it's so helpful to know that you have elders who are bearing that weight with you and will genuinely invest time in getting to know the members of the congregation walking alongside them so that it's not all on one person to have these individual relationships with everyone in the church body. So in other words, let the pastor know that they are not alone. Yes. And that she or he has a friend and a brother or sister in support. Find practical ways to actually yeah. involve yourself in that ministry. Okay, excellent. 
Well, I want to turn the corner to one more subject, Annie, and that's the reason why you're in the office this week, is that you've gotten yourself involved in yet another national ministry of the church, which is your propensity to do. In this pastoral letter of racial lament and hope, when you were reached out to to be asked to serve, you had kind of been hoping that that maybe that would occur. Why? Well, there there are really two reasons. One is simply that I really love good, healthy teamwork, and I enjoy being part of a group process. And so I just thought, oh, that would be so fun to get to be involved with that and hear the conversations. And I knew that I would learn a lot in the process. Uh, The other reason is that I really do think that alongside issues of human sexuality and gender identity, uh, issues of race and racism are a really key part of what sometimes is keeping us from reaching the younger generations in our in our country. I think that uh, it's time for us to speak out, speak the word of God, not our own word, not our own message, not something that we get from uh, social or political interest, but speak the word of Christ into this most pressing issue of our day. We have one meeting down. That's right. We just concluded that first meeting of that team, what's your takeaway? And what would you like people in the EPC who are listening in to know about this team that God has assembled and the work that's before them? I would encourage all my brothers and sisters that this work is being done in love. As I looked around the table, uh, you know, different people, different backgrounds, v- vastly different experiences, and yet we are one in Christ, and in Christ, we can extend great love and grace toward each other. And I think that is the perfect starting point for a daunting project like this. I looked around the room, Annie, and uh, I know this might sound a little, you're inside the EPC, maybe this sounds cliche, maybe you've heard it so often that you tune it out, but I saw it afresh as I looked around the table um, in the essentials unity. Uh, I didn't see any deviation from those essentials from the solid passed down revealed from the saints Amen. The, the, the orthodox biblical evangelical Steeped church in the confession yes right? and 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 i loved hearing language where you know people in the committee would say we've got to steep this letter in the confession and uh, you know westminster speaks to this and i mean so are people we're not were, innovating yeah right we're not making <laughs> up a word but i also think you know in the non-essentials uh, liberty and i looked around the room and there was uh, a great representation of different parts of the country, people who were both pastors and laypersons, and, and as laypersons, different vocations even around the room. Right. And people with different skill sets and different interests and different backgrounds. And, you know, so it just, there was a really f- a rich fullness. Um, and I looked around the room and I thought, this is, this is the EPC. This, this is us. And yeah. so there was this, um, uh, a liberty because we weren't all the same. There was the non-essentials, right. but the, to your point earlier, uh, in all things, charity, charity, yeah, or love, faith working through love. That's yeah. right. And one of the members of our team, I thought very wisely, Linda McDaniel's uh, from Hope Church in um, Memphis, uh, made this comment that before we could ever get to lament, uh, and lament is prefaced by love. That's right. If you if you don't love your neighbor then lament feels like shame or lament feels like 
uh, have to, or it almost takes on the weight of law. Right. Um, but when you love someone, you are hurt by the things that hurt them. Right. And, and isn't that what we're invited into in the body of Christ? Right. We have this genuine sharing in each other's joys and each other's sufferings. And that's what Jesus did for us. That's he right. entered into our joys and sufferings. And with Christ now living in us, uh, with love of neighbor, we're called to enter into their joy and suffering. And the biblical phrase for that and the biblical books for that and the biblical text for that is called lament. And that takes us from meeting people right where they are in the midst of their brokenness and their pain but it also, because Christ in us, the hope of glory, it, it leads us to this place of, of resurrection hope. Because That's right. We're because turning to God in the midst of that. We're turning to him for our only hope. To whom all things are possible. That's right. Amen. Well, in closing, Andy, is there any other word that you would like to share, a pastoral word um, for those who are listening in, whether it's on the, the pastoral letter or whether it has to do with pastoral care, uh, minister of vocations, anything where God has placed your interest uh, just give you a final moment to share your heart. Oh, thank you for that, Dean. You know, over the last couple of years, one of the one of the pressing needs that I've seen in the church is our need to be steeped in the Word of God. And so I would just continue to encourage all my brothers and sisters, spend more time in the Word than you do listening to the news. Spend more time listening to the Word than you do on Facebook. Make sure that the loudest voice that you're hearing in your daily life is the Lord speaking in His Word. Well, I can't imagine better advice than that. And I will tell you, I'm also kind of convicted by that. So I haven't measured out my time on social media versus the time I spend in the word, but now you've, now you've cut to the quick. So, <laughs> so well, Annie, it's been a delight having you here, both in the office, but also on in all things. And we hope to have you back in the future. Thank you, Dean. I'd love that. All right. Thank you, Annie. And thank you, friends, for, for listening in. I hope this is a conversation that has encouraged you and blessed you. And uh, and if this has been a blessing to you, would you do us the favor of being a blessing to others? Uh, because, you know, we've been blessed to be a blessing. So pass this on. Like us on social media. Send this to the elders in your church. Send this um, to your pastor uh, by way of encouragement or maybe to the chair of your personnel committee or HR department as a way of p drawing attention to how we care well for our pastors or perhaps there's people in your uh, congregation who would be encouraged to hear more about the work of the, the committee writing this pastoral letter. Just like us on social and spread the word. It's a good word. And of course, we always end our conversations every time we gather and we drop a new episode every Friday. Uh, we are coming up on our one year anniversary and um, that's a special time for us and we'd love to continue to uh, see uh, this particular uh, ministry be fruitful and thrive and flourish in the next coming year as a blessing uh, to the church in all things. You know, in the essentials, it's unity. In the non-essentials, it's liberty. But in all things, my friends, in all things, it's charity or love. So let's go back to that good word that is God's word as we conclude this conversation together as we always do from the opening verses in the book of Colossians. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, things visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, my friends, have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. 
And in him, our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in him, all things hold together. For you see, he is the head of the body, the church. And it is in the name of that risen Savior who gives us hope, our Lord Jesus Christ. Until the next time we gather, my friends, grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.